So let's think about real quick these three temptations. All right, the first one, Jesus is tempted. You know, he ate nothing. So first off, I can relate because I haven't had dinner yet. I'm going to go meet uh, my wife and my daughter after this is over. I'm already hitting that hangry like space. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? It's like it's been a long time since the last meal, like a couple hours, and. I'm I'm ready. It's one of the things I've gotten to know about you is that you you need some like regular feedings. Yes, I'm like a, I'm you're, like, you're like a pet. You're, you're like a dude that's like you know in like, about three four hours. I got to make sure you got some food in front of yeah, you. Yeah, that's like slopping the hogs, man. It have to it's be like a lot. You gotta, it just needs it's to like be it's something. a chore that you have to do, and you can't get, you can't <laughs> skip it. John Stevens. This is Matt Russell. This and this is Todd at Mercy. All right, Pod have mercy live and in person. How's everybody? Good? I just wanted to tell everybody who's here and Matt, you as well. I, I got a, there was a news report mm. out of Key West, Florida. Uh, there was a, a buoy that was set on fire, you know, out in the water. And um, anyway, uh, the bar, a bartender, a local bartender actually um, turned the guy in. Because this tourist, apparently, who had done this, made this big impression on the bartender because he ordered drinks three times on New Year's Eve and he didn't leave a tip. And that enabled the staff to easily track him down after the police released the webcam video showing vandals setting fire to the Christmas tree. Mm. So I would just suggest that if you want to be, like, forgotten (laughs) by... um, the people who are going to turn you in for your vandalism crimes, mm-hmm. you might want to leave a tip. Yeah. Yeah. You never met, want to mess with somebody that sees your food before you do. That's, I learned that. No. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Having worked at a Red Lobster, I can say that is definitely <laughs> That's true. That's the truth. <laughs> you remember in the restaurant, when I worked in the restaurant in 1993, uh, they had, you know, you would ask, you would like smoking or non-smoking. Oh, yeah. You remember, I remember that? Those, yeah. And it was uh, so good because the smoking section was just this side of the restaurant and the non-smoking section yeah, was, was just like this side. Yeah, two feet away. There wasn't even like a plexiglass yeah, no, wall. No. There like, was nothing. It's like those flights. Did you, did, am I, like when they. they oh, the smoking. The, yeah, was, in the back. And, yeah. Yeah. What, what, what was that? <laughs> so I would come home and I was like, I worked in the non-smoking section, but man, I feel like I just yeah. got dredged out of a, <laughs> yeah. out of an ashtray. <laughs> so anyway, um, you know, we've been talking about a lot about following Jesus at Chapelwood. And last week we talked about on, on the podcast and in the, the, just sort of the whole theme of the week was around baptism. Mm-hmm. And one of the key things that stood out to me was the whole concept of your identity. You know, baptism is affirmation of your identity. And so in the baptism story, the voice from heaven says to Jesus, you are my son, my beloved, and you, I'm well pleased. Mm -hmm. And I said that on Sunday to everybody. You are the son of God. You are a daughter of God. We even ended last week, like with our little feel-good session, right? That's right. Uh, and, And that you're really special. And what's interesting is like right after the baptism of Jesus is the temptation right. in the wilderness. And it starts a new chapter in the Bible. The problem with that is there are no chapters and verses in the original Bible, right, that was added much, much later. And so really what happens is we think that the baptism and the temptation are two different stories when actually it's one mm. seamless story. Right. 
Because if the baptism is about affirming your identity, the temptation is all about trying to steal and, yeah. and deconstruct yeah. your identity. Yeah, this true. is why two of the temptations start with, <laughs> if you are the son of God, Question the very the affirmation, deal. if you yeah. are the son of God, yeah. then whatever. Prove it. <laughs> yeah, then prove it. And so I think, um, you know, without, without reading it, we'll kind of go through it. But one of the things I think is important is just kind of remember these things go together. Mm-hmm. And the, the scripture uh, in Luke chapter four starts that, you know, Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. And he returned from the Jordan and he was led by the spirit into the wilderness. Yeah. So the same spirit of the dove of God that, that sort of descended upon Jesus mm-hmm. and affirmed his identity is the same spirit that's now leading him into the wilderness. Right. Another Greek word for that is drive, like he was driven. You get the sense in that word that this isn't what Jesus wanted to do. He was being pushed. And I wonder at times in temptation, after you have an identity that, that is, is set by God, you wonder why these bad things are happening. Right. As if as if that type of identity gives you a force field rather than a summonsing into um, the, the pain and the suffering or whatever happens of, the, the, uh, of life. So I think this Jesus being driven into the um, wilderness is an interesting. thing. Yeah. And so there's there's really two things that are very important to kind of figure out here, mm-hmm. because if if the Holy Spirit, if he's full of the Holy Spirit, and he's being driven or led into the wilderness, then it causes me to have some questions about the movement of Jesus, right? It's like, well, who's leading him? I mean, is God leading him to a place now where he's gonna be tested, mm-hmm. or is gonna undergo trial and, and temptation and hunger and all this kind of stuff? And what's the purpose? What's this all about? And I think it's important to understand the devil's role in this and the yes. way the Bible thinks about the devil, talks about the devil, defines the devil, because it really, there's different ways the devil is referred to or thought of as kind of the nature of the devil in the Bible, Mm -hmm. right? So in the Old Testament, the old biblical tradition sees the devil as this tester. And so if you want a, a great illustration of this, if you've ever read the book of Job, you got Job's this great guy. He's got it all together. He loves the Lord. He's fully righteous, but he's also rich. He's wealthy. Yeah. He's got land. He's yeah. got all this yeah. kind of stuff. And, and Job is really one of these strange, first off, if you've never read Job, don't read it. Is it will really like just cause you to question. You feel a little depressed. Don't read that yeah. book. Well, yeah. But the, the thing to me is, it's just like, man, it's a tough book to kind yeah. of figure out what's going on here. And how is God letting this happen? Why is God doing this? Because Satan kind of just walks into the, God's office and says, hey, you know, and, and God's like, hey, do you see my, you see my guy, Job? He's, he's crushing it. He's, he's killing it. He's like you slamming those abs at your boot camp <laughs> okay, CrossFit, right? <laughs> he's like, this guy's crushing it, man. He's throwing down. And Satan's like, yeah, well, of course he is because he's yeah. like so insulated. You've given him everything. Yeah. He's got money. He's got yeah, yeah, yeah. cattle as far as the eye can see. I mean. Who if, wouldn't be crushing it, right? Yeah, everybody be crushing it. Yeah. So, I mean, if you gave it to me and like I could strip all that stuff away from him and like just bring him to his knees, he wouldn't be yeah. like so dedicated to you. And God goes, okay. Give it a shot. Yeah, have at it. <laughs> have, take Job, do what you want to do. You can't kill him, right? You can't kill him. It's the only thing you can't do. 
And then this whole thing where his family dies and right, right. loses all his cattle and yeah. loses all his money and he's like everything. And, it's like a bad country western song, right? It is like a bad country <laughs> western song. But it's not the perfect country <laughs> western song because it didn't have anything about mama. Or dog. Or dogs. <laughs> or trains. That's right. Or pickup no tra- trucks. No train or jail. <laughs> It's it's really good that we can refer to those kinds of things, but I mean it's this this is what Satan is, and so in a, in a sense, this aspect of being tested by Satan is exactly what is happening in um, in Jesus and to Jesus in the wilderness. So it's in that mm-hmm. tradition, and both in both the Gospel of Luke and Matthew, similar versions of this. It's it's like explicitly emphasizing that God's spirit is leading Jesus into the wilderness in order to be tempted. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So God's involved in this process. I want you to, I want to push you out there. Let's see what you got. Let's see yeah. if you, that's right. what you did. That's right. So in the old Testament, you have this, like this, this setup to where if, if Satan is, is the tester, it's this presence that opposes everything that God has created. It's almost like anti-creation. Right. So when Job, when, when Satan gets a hold of Job, everything that's been created has been sucked back. It's like anti-creation. It's being pulled back into chaos. Right. Um, and so in this instance, um, in, in the New Testament, it seems like that there's a different role. That, that there is. But before we move off of that one, that that leads me to th- one of the things that we've said a lot or I've said a lot. We've talked about mm-hmm. a lot is that over the last two years, so much pressure, so mm-hmm. much heat. Yeah. has been applied to our faith as Christians, particularly, I mean, all over the world. But I think about in the United States of America, we've had some unique things we've had to deal with. Mm-hmm. And Christians in America didn't really perform well. I mean, not perform, but you know what I mean. We didn't really represent well. Yeah. We didn't really show up. And we ended up, um, you know, and, and what I think in some ways it's kind of tied to this is what a mm-hmm. pandemic does is, like, all right, it strips all the things that you had that were your coping mechanisms. You right. didn't have those access right. to those anymore. Yeah. And it was like, okay, well, what do you got now? What's in, what's deep inside of you? What comes out when you turn the flames up, when you, when you pressure the prep, put the pressure on, right. you know, what's there. It's kind of like a Job moment, um, where we're God, like, all right, we're going to strip a lot of these things that you, you used before, right. uh, as your crutch. Mm-hmm. to deal with your stuff you don't have access to that mm, yeah and so what are you going to do right. right so i think there's a there's a part of aspect of that if you want to wrestle around with that and i think it's interesting but yeah and then you get into the new testament and the devil is seen a little bit differently um the the, the biblical you know in the newer testament it's not as an agent for god's purposes as much as an enemy to god's purposes that's the difference. So Peter talks about, you know, the devil's like a roaring lion, your adversary. Devil prowls around looking for someone to devour, right? And so this is the evil one, the adversary. In the Greek, the word for the devil is diabolos. I think I would say that. I kind of sound like a speaker. It's like diabolos. It's also, I think, is Spanish. And also the Spanish, diabolos. And the, the word in the Greek, though, literally means... One who divides, one who divides, one who separates. Um, And the devil is one who divides and separates. Interestingly, word study wise, the word in the Greek in the Bible 
for salvation yeah, is yeah. sozo, S-O-Z-O. And that word also means to heal. And it also means to make whole or to make one. So, the, so salvation is healing, is wholeness, is oneness. And the devil is always working against that salvation, that healing, that wholeness, mm. wholeness and that oneness. So where we see division is the presence of this thing that is not God. Yes. Division right. and accusation. Yeah. yeah. You know, the, the, other, the other name in, in, the, in the Old Testament is the accuser. The accuser. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So these are the these are the ways we understand. So the, the gospels tell us, you know, that that the devil's the one that enters into Judas Iscariot, a murderer, a liar from the beginning. He seeks to subvert Jesus's mission, yeah. and so everything here is this evil sort of um, devil that's dividing and working to as an enemy to God's purposes, not in a sense of an agent for God's purposes. Mm. So there's those two things going on. And for the purpose of Jeez. us thinking about Jesus in the wilderness, the devil is doing both of these things because yeah. God's driving Jesus into the wilderness. Yes. All right, and this testing going on. Mm -hmm. But the testing at its nature is very, um, it's very nasty. It's very devilish. It, it, the devil has that kind of quality, right? It's kind of it's devilish. like a snake or something. Yeah, like kind of deceitful. And this an, an enemy trying to cause Jesus to stumble right. away from his purpose. Right? I, I wonder too, is so, so Jesus has this like deep identity moment where um, the very organizing principle is, principle is put into his life through his baptism. Mm -hmm. And then he's driven into the desert and that identity is going to be tested. That identity is going to be taken and said, well, let's see if that's really true about you. And so the way that the way that Satan does that is always, some, well, not not always, but often through a non-direct approach. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up with a, a deaf kid in my church and the sign for temptation is this. Your it's elbow? just something that kind of touches you on the For those on the of you elbow. who are listening on the line, he's pointing yeah. to his Here's elbow. my elbow. I'm touching my elbow and tapping it. Um, it's, it's something that when you're walking this way, just kind of leads you astray. Right? Oh, so like tapping you on the shoulder or something to yeah. distract you. It's to distract you. It's to distract you from your purpose, from your mission, from who you are. No, that's cool. So it's important to know that this moment in the wilderness, you know, God's involved in orchestrating this. It's animated by the Spirit of God. It's important also mm. to know, and what wow. that tells me is this is not the devil's moment. This is huh. Jesus' moment. That's good. You know, yeah. we kind of think sometimes that the temptation in the wilderness is kind of the devil's the main character. He's not the main character. Jesus is the main character. And Jesus is settled into this intention to be completely given to God. So if the baptism was all about the initiation, the incorporation, the ordination in the ministry, so that now everything is recalibrated to where God is his center, what's happening here in the wilderness is Satan is trying to disrupt that, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. He's really testing yeah. that aspect. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say that happens to all of us huh. too, because it's like I said last week in the sermon, if you go around and ask anybody in any church in America and you said, is God the center around which all things orbit? Everybody in church knows the right answer. Jesus. Of course, <laughs> Jesus, yes, Jesus is the center of my life and everything orbits around that. But what we find here is the exact same thing going on is every day that that we are being tempted, tested, pushed to challenge those things. And, so we, and we give in to yeah. other powers and principalities and we don't even recognize it's the case. Because as you, as you look at these temptations, you're gonna see 
they're pretty devilish. They are pretty crafty. Yeah, yeah. pretty snaky. Yeah, and and I th- I love that insight about Satan being the divider because if God has put an identity within us of the beloved, <clears throat> the Spirit of God just said, "This is who you are," and there's not a darn thing you can do about it. Then the very work of that which is not God is to divide us, is to to um, se- separate us from that identity, right? And that is you, you really think you're that. Is that who you think you are, right? And I don't know about you, but there's inner voices inside of me that are really accusatory, right? And what I can recognize in a scriptural sense that those are things that oppose the work of God, right? Then I can say, oh, that's not from God. It's just, like the old cartoon and little devils yeah, on your shoulder, right. like whispering, hey. Yeah, right. Yeah, I just, I just, that, that dude walked around inside of me for a long time. And I just thought it was just my voice or the voice until I could understand, no, this is the voice that opposes God's reconciling love and the identity that you talked about last week. I don't want to get too off track, but Thomas Merton talks about how you you live in this false self. You listen to these voices and you look in the mirror and all you see is a shadow of who you really are. You never see who you really are. And if you look in that long enough, all you see is the shadow. And then you can't really tell the difference between you and the shadow oh, and then the shadow creates yeah. a shadow and he's going in all this kind yeah. of stuff and he's like and then your whole life is the shadow beating the crap out of the <laughs> other shadow and it's like you don't even know who you are anymore yeah. but I, I mean the design of god's design for his creation in in, in in us is not that we come to some sort of moral perfection mm, not that we take right. a, the right stand on yeah. some moral or social issue not that's that right. we align ourselves with a cause or a movement or a political mm. party his goal his purpose for us is that we come to wholeness and maturity mm. completion oneness you know, that's the point. And this is what the devil's always trying to do is divide through accusation, through these temptations yeah. in our life. And so um, one of the things I think is interesting, and then I want to move to the three temptations real quick. But mm. when you follow Jesus, your God-given identity is going to unfold within you. And it's going to animate your purpose and intention for the days that you live in. The first thing, before we get into the specific three temptations and what kind of how those all, all three of those are at work in our lives every day, yeah. or not every day, but they're at work regularly, is the, the process by which the devil tempts, all right? He, he uses this if-then false dilemma, hmm. right. right? Right. If you are the son of God, Indeed. then command these stones to turn to bread. If you are the son of God, then throw yourself. If you are the son of God... And it's always this testing of the identity, the affirmation. But what's interesting Mm -hmm. here is that the devil is using this false dilemma. And he's using this to move Jesus away from his core identity and from the center of his personhood. He's using this to kind of wedge God out. You know, he just recalibrated himself through his baptism. Mm -hmm. And he's using this false dilemma to try to wedge a hole in there so that Jesus starts moving other things into the center. Mm. And let me tell you what I mean by that. So philosophy calls a false dilemma of this. It's basically defined, it's an informal fallacy based on a premise that erroneously limits what options are available. So if I was gonna give you an example, it said, if A is true, then B must be true. Mm -hmm. Or if A is true, then B must happen this way. Give you an example. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor 
I have had members of the church or people in the community, whoever it is, right? And they'll either call me or they'll come to me and they'll say, hey, let me tell you about this particular social issue, right? And I feel that I need to take a stand on this in my daily life. And I'm taking this stand on this particular issue because I'm a Christian and that's how I understand reading the Bible and where I need to land. And you are a Christian minister. Therefore, I know that you agree with me on this particular issue. If I had a dollar for every time something like that happened for me, Jeff, I'd be retired. <laughs> I mean, I'd be retired. And it's this false proposition. As a matter of fact, uh, on several situations like this, yeah. I, I told these people, I was like, I don't agree with that. I mean, it's, it's like, well, are you an Orthodox Christian? Yes, I'm an Orthodox Christian. Well, therefore, you must believe this about same-sex marriage and homosexuality. Well, no, that doesn't mean that. I mean, it means that for you. It doesn't mean that for me. It's the same sense of when I think about being compatibilist on some things or how I read the scripture, how I see God's grace at work in redemption in a fallen world, a Genesis yes. 3 world, is the same thing when, when I think about divorce and remarriage. I mean, divorce and remarriage is very clearly spelled out by Jesus himself and Paul, very clearly laid out, right? Mm -hmm. There's only, only two reasons why you can like legally, according to the Bible, get divorced. And mm -hmm. that's if your spouse cheats on you and leaves you. Now, if they cheat on you and stay, you have to stay with them. Hmm. Fun days. And the other one is if your spouse is an unbeliever and they leave you, if they stay with you, you have to stay yes, with them. There's, for, for anything else, for any other divorce, right, it says that if you remarry, you're committing adultery. Hmm. And so <laughs> it's not like, well, but, you know, I know I messed up and, and I asked for forgiveness and God forgave me. So now that I'm married to, so I, I had a, you know, a couple in my office one time years ago, and they were talking about this whole issue around reading the Bible and around homosexuality and same sex marriage. And, and, and they were like, the Bible says, this is what it is. Therefore you have to, you have to align yourself with this. And this couple was divorced and remarried and not for the allowable reasons, according to Jesus. And I, we were talking and I just, you know, in a moment of stupidity or bravery, I don't know, or courage. I just said, you know, if, if we're going to read the Bible that way, that's fine. I mean, my brother is a Southern Baptist minister and, and we, he and I don't agree on a lot of things, but I'll tell you what I appreciate about him. He's in tech, his integrity and consistency. He doesn't believe that women should be heads of the household. He doesn't believe women should be ministers. He doesn't believe in homosexuality. He doesn't believe in remarrying people who've been divorced for, so I'm like, it, there's consistency there, right? Well, theologically, I've come to a different position, but I told this guy, I was like, you know, if you're, if you're going to read the Bible this way, then you don't need to be married to your wife. You either need to be single and celibate, or you need to be remarried to your first wife. How'd that work out for you? Yeah, they didn't go over well. <laughs> that was not a good meeting. Um, not a good meeting. But the point I'm making is, so I think the, the, uh, to carry on on another conversation for another day yeah. is why then, John, do you have a different uh, understanding or belief on divorce and remarriage if Jesus says these things a certain way. And once you start figuring that out, then you might say, okay, well then, as you read this passage of scripture, how might you see this in a different way as well? Now, let me just be clear. In the script, the Bible is not just about 
I don't have to pay attention to it or I can read it and think whatever I want. There is consistency in this across the spectrum mm -hmm. and grace and redemption and wholeness and oneness is sort of undergirding this whole thing. Divorce and remarriage is not something God desires, yeah. right? It misses the mark, yeah. Yeah. but it happens. Mm -hmm. So you can decide you're gonna be a holy church with no divorced and remarried people or you can say, can God work in this? Can I see that God works in this? Mm, yeah. And so that would be true in, in, in other situations as well. So this is where I'm getting to this whole false dilemma. I think this is, this is important, is that if you are only thinking with if-then um, understanding, you are limiting your options. The devil is trying to limit the options of Jesus. He doesn't want there to be nuance. There's no both and, it's if-then. And there's only one straight line way to express the sense of personhood. And so he's trying to force people into a kind of logic that's false from the very beginning. Mm. He's putting, he's trying to, he's, he's gaslighting Jesus. He's yeah. trying to say, well, if you are the son of God, then you can do this. Yeah. You know, you should do this. And as I said, those who think and act in this way, they may not intend it, but they are behaving in a very diabolical manner. That's interesting. Yeah. They're dividing. Right. The people who, who come in my office and say, well, if then if, if A on this particular issue, then B, and you have to agree with me. I'm thinking, man, you're just set, setting things up here for a division. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think about our denomination, United Methodist Church. There's just a certain group of people, they just want to, they just want to be done. They want to be gone, they want to divide the church. And in their own holy principles, I, I, I don't have a problem with that. I don't condemn them, I don't judge them, I don't agree with it, right? right? Because it seems to me that the nature and the intent and the purpose is not so much trying to figure out how to, to, to find salvation and wholeness and healing as much as, as it is like, I gotta win. Yeah. My way is right, and there's no other way to look at this, even though on a lot of other issues, they have made accommodations or adjustments or grace-centered changes around certain things like divorce and remarriage. Yeah, that's so interesting. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says really the only sin is when we step away from that community table. And we say, I'm not having communion with you. Like at the communion table, there's a sense in which all of us are broken. All of us bring our own deep sense of our own humanity. And we come to this table together saying, God, would you save me? Would you make me whole? Mm -hmm. And if we're all doing that and we're all believing that the spirit is going to do that, then we don't have to walk away from each other. We don't have to be divided from each other. Yeah. And so salvation happens in that place where humility is, and we're saying we don't know the way forward, but we're gonna stay, we're gonna hold hands and stick together in it. And we're gonna read the scriptures in communal ways um, that aren't playing fast and loose, and we're gonna stay true to ourselves and God in this place. Yeah, because one of the things people will say was, then you just don't believe any sexual ethic at all. That's not true. We, there's still sexual ethic, there's still essentials. I still think that uh, covenantal, monogamous marriage is the way that God has created us mm -hmm. to live together. Um, so it doesn't mean anything goes when you read that way. You still have essentials and you have core essence. What's interesting about this with the whole false dilemma thing is that the evil one, the devil in the wilderness, he is telling Jesus, if you're the son of God, then you will act in certain ways. And, but he's the one telling what those ways will be that you'll act. Hmm. And so Jesus has to kind of submit to that lie 
right? That false dilemma or else, as far as the devil's concerned, there's no other way for you to be the son of God. And if Jesus chooses other ways to be the son of God, then in the devil's proposition, Jesus, you're not really truly the mm, son of God. Mm. It's this whole roundabout thing mm. that he's doing to try to delegitimize his identity. That's interesting. And, and I think the devil's doing that to us every day. Yeah. I always say person. the world and devil is the, the prince of the power of the world. The world is seeking to deconstruct you every day and reframe or reconstruct you into something into an image of something that you were not created to be. Mm. And often, more often than not, I think mm. the world kind of gets away, wins a lot of that. Mm. And so we're lured by the same seductions that the devil uses to lure Jesus. If you're really a Christian, then you will take a stand on this. If you really love the Lord, you will be a part of this particular movement. If you really want to make a difference, you will speak out in the pulpit on this, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Or else, you know, I've had so many people that because I don't live into their false dilemma or I don't accept that way of kind of thinking simplicity, you know, sim- the, with the simpleness like that, is they look at me and, and they'll say, yeah, you're just, I got to go to, a, I got to go to another church where they preach the word. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, where the pastor has uh, a sense of spiritual devotion because they look at me and now my whole Christianity is questioned. Grabs. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. just, it's just not yeah. there anymore. I wonder also that 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 um, that dilemma is, is also gets down into our, our own psyche and our own soul when we look in the mirror. And it's also like what Paul said um, in, in Romans, why do I do the things I don't want to do, Right. Um, and often we say, if I was, if I was this kind of person, I wouldn't be doing these kinds of things. And so the accuser can come into those kinds of tensions, even within our own psychological and spiritual makeup. And often that's where the first place, the spirit of the living God has to set us free is to say, no, this is, you are loved beyond measure, no matter what. And that's got to sit inside of us continually. And I think that's what, like you're saying, that's what the, the divider, that's what the, the thing that is not God um, is attempting to, um, to separate us from. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's infiltrated its way into churches. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, we have a lot of people that listen to this podcast. They're not really church people, not really in church. You know, right. they're spiritual and they're tapping into that. And honestly... You know, a lot of people have been burned by the church. Mm. That's why they don't like organized religion because church has just been mean mm-hmm. or bad mm. or condemning or judgmental of, mm-hmm. you know, of them or people that they love. Mm. And, you know, I, I kind of understand yeah. uh, that you would be burned by that way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't close the door to wanting to express faith and live you know, a spiritual life. Mm. So let's think about real quick these three temptations. All right, the first one, Jesus is tempted, you know, he ate nothing. So first off, I can relate because I haven't had dinner yet. I'm going to go meet uh, my wife and my daughter after this is over. I'm already hitting that hangry like (laughs) space. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, it's been a long time since the last meal, like a couple hours and... I'm I'm ready. One of the things I've gotten to know about you is that you you need some like regular feedings. Yes, I'm like a, I'm you're, like, you're like a pet. You're like, you're like a dude that's like you know in like, about three four hours. I got to make sure you got some food in front of yeah, you. Yeah, that's like slopping the hogs, man. It have to it's be like a lot. You gotta, it it's like it's a chore that you have to do, and you can't you can't skip it. It's just done. I mean, I notice when I wake up in the morning, I got to eat. I just, I just say it just kickstarts my metabolism. Yeah, you you know, that's the way I look at it. But so the devil says, if here again, you, if you are the son of God, command the stone to become a loaf of bread. 
And what Jesus says is it is written, one does not live by bread alone. Now, there's a lot of stuff that's going on here. Yeah. You know, Richard Rohr has yeah. this understanding that um, the three temptations represent three fundamental temptations that every human being faces. Mm -hmm. And what he says, this first one is that it's our need to be immediately impressive, effective, successful, relevant, to make things happen right now, mm. our natural desire to look good. Yeah. So, so just, just to kind of get this straight, Jesus has not eaten for 40 days. Dude, I haven't eaten in three hours and I'm starving. Uh, yeah, right? You <laughs> deny everything that's godly to you, right? Just three hours, but 40 days, this dude has not eaten. He's in the wilderness. And the accuser comes to him and says, if you are who you think you are, then let's have a meal. Right. As, as, as you've said before, Jesus is not opposed to feeding. He feeds the 5,000. He's going to feed a lot of people. He in his ministry. 4,000. He take, you know, he's not opposed to that. I wonder at the core of this, if it is a, a temptation to use our own power, the power that we have been given in ways that are um, to satisfy these kind of darker needs to get out of something rather than to surrender something. Hmm. Right. And so often we take control, um, and this is, this is a part of my own kind of recovery. I've taken control when I have to learn to surrender. And I think what Jesus is learning in the wilderness in this very fundamental place is will you live in your identity surrendered to God? Or will you take control and prove to other people that they're wrong and you're right, right? And so part of this is just um, will you stay in your identity Humble, open, broken, open, and will you allow God? To yeah, I think on a human level, yeah. like all of us understand, we've all dealt with wanting to be relevant, wanting to be important, wanting to fix. I mean, I like mm -hmm. to be the one. Like today, I mean, I'm I'm dressed this way. We had a funeral today, and I wasn't doing the funeral, but it was a member of this church. Jim Jackson did the funeral, but I wanted to be helpful. I wanted. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm I was ushering. You know, because there's just something, I mean, it, it's, it's helpful. It's a good thing, yeah. but man, it crosses the line sometimes to where I want to be relevant. I want to be impressive. Yeah. I want to be important. I want to be whatever yeah. it is yeah. in our lives. And I think that's what Roar is tapping into that's that right. we all have that. But here's something that's yeah. even a little bit richer. I think that's interesting. So like God even feeds his people in Exodus. God gives them manna, gives them bread when mm -hmm. they're led out of Egypt because God is trying to hope to wean them off of their dependence that they had on the Egyptian Pharaoh and now begin to learn to trust and depend mm -hmm. on God, mm -hmm. right? To get away from the mm -hmm. scarcity mentality, to get away from the slave mentality, to live right. free. I'm gonna provide enough you for every day, yeah. except for the Sabbath day and you'll get two days worth, right? Yeah. So how did that work out? For what? For the Israelites. Like in terms of like the food show. But I'm up. saying, did they learn their lesson? Oh, no. No. Because <laughs> no. <laughs> as soon as they got bread, they immediately started saying, well, um, we want water out of the rock. We want quail. You know, I'm thinking, or ribeye. <laughs> and he's like, because they even said in Exodus 17, they demanded a sign of water because we need to know whether the Lord is with us or not. Uh, as the Lord is providing for them. For them yeah, every yeah. day. Human this is human nature 101. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they're supposed to learn this reliance on God, but instead 
They become ungrateful. They become arrogant. They want insist that God serves their needs on their terms. You meet my needs, you know, and that's just like they treat God like a genie in a bottle, Mm. right? And so they considered God in a way a, a slave just present to meet their own needs. They never moved from the physical need to the spiritual worship. I think there's something in this that Jesus is recognizing at a deeper level. I'm not gonna be seduced by your invitation to change this stone into bread, Uh, all right? uh. And this is why he says, humans don't live by bread alone. He acknowledges the need for food, the goodness of that, but if feeding those who are in hunger is the extent of his ministry, he's not going to live into his purpose. That's right. And if Jesus shows up and he, Jesus, I think, recognizes that his deepest need in that moment is not hunger, Mm -hmm. right? And and, uh, uh, Jim Hollis, James Hollis, uh, uh, a Jungian psychologist says, it's not whatever you're feeling, whatever you're experiencing, it's not what you think it's about, right? So if I'm feeling angry about something, it's usually not what it's about. There's something else going on. And I think what the Spirit of God is doing is drawing Jesus under what it's not about. It's not about your hunger. What what is it? And Jesus says that. Uh, Human persons don't live by bread alone. Right? But every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, from the identity that God's given me. And so I think that Jesus is learning that in real time. Yeah, I mean, so it's if good. you think about it, you wrestle with this, there's a lot of, there's a lot that's way more deeper than sometimes we yeah. intersect with this. Yeah. We think one dimensionally, like, hey, I'm hungry, I'm gonna go eat dinner. But Jesus is kind of saying before, man, Oof. you know, you've provided this and the people didn't get it. And if all I do is just like satiate that hunger, then I'm missing something more yeah, here. Yeah, it's like I, a spiritual I'm, shortcut. Yeah, because <laughs> meeting, meeting if, if you're only about meeting your physical needs, that does not lead to wholeness no. and maturity and a depth of spirituality. God is interested in transforming mm. the world through the human heart. Yeah. And so if Jesus is like, yeah, fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong with feeding anybody and I could eat that. But man, as soon as he does that, the dynamic changes for him as far as what his center is and and what the message he's going to proclaim. So I think think what Satan does here is he's trying to, he's he's got a strategy. He's trying to, he's missing the point though about human formation. His strategy is good, right? Because he's like, this is good, right? Feeding people's good, right? But because he can't go as deep as Jesus, he doesn't go to the human transformation. He doesn't see all the the depths and layers of what he's asking. He doesn't go deep enough. He stays too shallow. And so Jesus says, yeah, I'm not gonna play that game. That's interesting. So sometimes temptation doesn't always look evil. It just keeps you stuck in a shallow place. Temptation never looks bad. That's why it's called temptation. (laughs) It's attractive. (laughs) <laughs> temptation is always attractive. I mean, you think it's tempting when they go, hey, do you want to eat this pile of slugs? I'm not really tempted to eat a pile of slugs. You know, it's not good. You, would, you like to, would you like to put this bowl of snot in your, you know? And, uh, no, I'm not really not tempted by that at put all. Put a Krispy Kreme in front of me, though. No, Krispy Kreme. Yeah, it's attractive. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> and when they come off the little conveyor oh, my, belt. That little hot time. And the, oh, yeah. Dear Lord. Yeah, yeah I saw something. <laughs> where somebody said that, you know, if, if, you know, reward for some competition was they would let you literally ride through the, the, the icing, <laughs> the icing thing, you know, where it puts the icing waterfall. Yeah, yeah, you yes. could literally just ride through the icing waterfall if you won the, 
I, uh, I don't know if that's real or not, but I thought it was kind of, it should be real. <laughs> I mean, it should be real. Well, and then the second one is about the power and glory of these kingdoms. So mm. the devil leads Jesus up to this high place on mm. top of the temple, right? Mm. And shows him, it says in an instant, all of the kingdoms of the world. And he says, I will give you all their authority and splendor. Now here's a really odd line. The, the devil says, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me. Mm. And I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Mm. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Yeah. Now, Rohrer um, says the second temptation is basically to think of yourself as saved, superior to others, morally elite on the side of God, on the side of religion, quoting arguable scriptures for your own purpose, being against God in the name of God. Being against God in the name, that, that is. That's not me, that's Roar. I know, but that's, that's, a, that's scary. That you yeah. can actually be a part of opposing God, but using the name of God, right? Um, one of the things I found out in uh, or discovered when we were planting Mercy Street that, uh, and, and was, was just interviewing people that had left the church is we realized in that instance or a lot of people's experiences were that the name of Jesus that the church had been using had become a barrier to the actual person of Jesus, right? So the way that the church had used the name of Jesus through shame, through judgment, through all this, was, was an actual barrier to the very person that, um, that, that Jesus is. And so I think that's the yeah. that's a scary thing. I mean, God becomes a barrier in that sense. Mm. So here, here's what's interesting about this. Um, let, let, me, let me unpack it this way. Mm. What I have seen in the last two years, and it's always been the case, I, if you go back in the 80s, I'm history major, religious studies, yeah. you know, so we spent a lot of time thinking about this, looking yeah. at it and everything. You think about the moral majority mm-hmm. in the late seventies and the eighties, how religion kind of coalesced and walked alongside, um, faith. It's happened on both sides of, of the sure. political ideology sure. spectrum. It's sure. happened on the right and the left. And what happens is that religion gets intertwined in that and Christians, right, began to see that I have to I have to have political power in order to fulfill uh, the, the purposes of God. So we have to win the presidential election or God's purposes are thwarted. Mm-hmm. We have to have the majority on the Supreme Court Interesting. or our purposes are thwarted. Mm-hmm. We have to, to do this. Here's the interesting thing in this temptation. The devil says, that all of the kingdoms and the empires and the governments of the world, all of the kingdoms of the worlds and the entities in which people place their trust are his. They're given to him. And they include empires, financial systems, political systems, educational systems, corporate systems, social systems, whatever you want, all these kingdoms. And when Jesus is shown all these kingdoms and these powers and these principalities of the world, again, just like the temptation of the bread, he's going to see at a much deeper level to the center, to the essence of those things. He sees them as they truly are. He sees the inner dynamics by which they operate, what makes them tick, right? And so the thing we have to notice here is the claim made by the devil. He claims that these kingdoms that he shows Jesus belong to him. Mm. So when Christians choose power, 
political power. Right, right. When Christians choose empires, when Christians choose systems of the world, the kingdom powers of the world, who is offering them that? <laughs> Satan. Is Satan? <laughs> Could it be <laughs> Satan? <laughs> I mean, yeah, think about this. All power and authority, according to this passage of scripture, oh. the earthly power and authority belongs to the devil. This makes a lot of sense if you pay attention to Congress. <laughs> it explains a lot. If you look at, uh, you know, U.S. government, the way how divisive, re yeah. diabolos, divided. Yeah. How divided are we as a country? Right. And how centered is politics right now in our country? Mm. Politics is like the new religion of the United States of America. And so all this power and authority belong to the devil because these entities are working according to power, prestige, right. influence. And, and I think a long time ago, we American Christians, we decided we would prefer effectiveness over excellence. We want to actually get stuff done. We want policies in our country, laws. That's not a bad thing to want. I mean, it matters who you vote for and all that kind of stuff. But we're, we're putting our trust in yeah. Power, Satan, also, you know, is, is the accuser. Devil is the divider. So the one who divides and separates, the one who accuses, divides, and separates is the prince of the power of the earth, right? So when he offers all these kingdoms to Jesus, he said, if you just worship, you know, me, but Jesus knows that as soon as I do this, I am, I am committing to a, a work of accusation and division right because that's what these are these are you these are your powers these right. are your kingdoms and and so jesus didn't come to accuse and jesus didn't come to no. divide jesus like right after this he starts talking about this new thing called the kingdom of god exactly where the power of god's kingdom is love right? The power of God's kingdom is humility. The power of God's kingdom is that he crosses any lines to get to anybody that's in pain or suffering or whatever and says, come on, come on, there's healing. Yeah. Right? And so in the midst of that, Jesus, I, I never saw that, John, until right now that, that, that Jesus, the temptation is, to, is, is for a power grab. Yeah. And, and, and what, what, what God is saying is in your identity, there's a whole other world that exists right? A whole other language. Because it would have been a lot, it would have been a lot easier if Jesus had had all of the government, if he had the empire of Rome, right, right. if he had the powers of the Herodian uh, government in, in Israel, if he had had the religious establishment, right. if he had the, the wealth uh, class and all these things that were all aligned to him, man, he could have changed the world. I mean, think about how he could literally have changed the world. Right. He could have, he could have all the things that he preached and taught about and done that, that, that he was trying to do. Done. He had effect, he, he could effectively accomplish it yes. with, the, with the power. That makes sense. I mean, you look at that and it goes, that's a, how is that a bad yeah, thing? that's not a bad thing. So what Jesus huh. does though, is he says, no, I'm not gonna bring about kingdom by powers of intimidation, domination, accusation, division, but I'm gonna call people to the conversion of the heart, huh. to love people into new life through mercy, through shalom. It's the counter narrative. Dude, that's crazy. It's the counter narrative. Right. It is, it is. And that's where I'm thinking, you know, as I talk about the churches are gonna choose path. They're gonna choose this path of power, yeah. activism, political cozying up. I mean, whenever I see these stories mm -hmm. of these churches and you got, you know, 
the president in the pulpit or whomever, you yeah. know, the senator doing the preaching or the lieutenant governor and the governor. And it's just like, they try to be like Christian about it, but it's really, really partisan. Yeah. Um, yeah. It happens, it happens again on both sides of the sure. ideological sure. spectrum. Sure. But um, then the church loses its own authority to be able to be prophetic in the culture that calls people to a different way. Yeah. Right? We then can't say, actually, if the world is attempting to divide us on all these things and really the unity of what God wants to do is to make us whole, we can't be prophetic and bear witness to that if we've already made our bed with, with, with the way that the world has structured power. I would say politically, from just a sociological standpoint or a political standpoint, both of the two major parties in the United States are dealing with this huge convulsion mm. because they both are really divided. I mean, Republicans are divided and Democrats are divided, right? And so you hear this and, and it's different issues that they're divided about, but they're both deeply divided and they're trying to win mm. rest power, right? Rest control, not only from each other. I mean, the only thing they share in common is the hatred for the other party. Right. But then when they all get in a room together, no. they're all tearing each other yeah. up too. Right. And so I think this is, that's the false way of thinking about mm. how to enact change, at least from the Christian's perspective, or a person who's spiritually seeking to be something more than living in this division. All right, so last one, and then we're done. The third temptation um, is this whole temptation of, um, wait, where, what is it there? Oh, what is the third temptation? I lost my notes. Third temptation is, um, he says, uh, bow down before all, if bow down before me, right? Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll give it all to you. Is that the third one? Did That's I skip the second. the second one? I went to the pinnacle of the temple. All right, we did that one. Throw yourself off and he'll catch you. Oh, well, what I would add to that one is I would say, wouldn't that have been a lot easier? Like, could you have kick-started your ministry if you just did like the Superman jump? Yeah, yeah, you could have bypassed the resurrection. And you did the power, you know, the power <laughs> where they kneel, like the Captain Marvel pose on the ground. Can you imagine how much easier... Um, ministry would have been yeah. for and, him. And you know what? We would have never known Jesus. We would have never known the man if he would have done the power grab and if he would have moved into that place. The only reason we know him because he walked in a, in a countered way in love that opened up a whole other way, mm. which I think is, I mean, the way. So Yeah, I may have gone to the third one over the second one. But anyway... The same point. I'll, I'll give you, you know, I'll give you the glory of all these kingdoms and authority over wow. them, um, because again, this is where he says it again, because they are mine to give. Mm. So twice the devil says this: how this is connected together. Mm. Together, and I think this is. Um, I wonder if the if the second one is about a religious kind of power that's used in a way that gains prominence, and the third temptation is is that thing about political or kind of cultural power. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, to me, the second temptation is, you know, save superior of others, being against God in the name of God. The third one is that need for control, importance, power. They're really all basic human um, kind of connections, right? You know, if you, if you bow down to me, right, if you bow down to me, all the power systems of the world, I'll give them to you and you can use them. And it's... Um, Jesus refuses to do that before the little kingdoms, the little corporations, the little idols, the little mm. issues of how we think about ourselves. I'm not going to do that. And there's um, a really heavy judgment on all the security systems of this world. 
they'll finally and inevitably demand your full allegiance, your loyalty, your attention. But it will all feel like you're just doing your job. <laughs> and so when Jesus saw this uh, in that way, in a deeper right. way, he says, you must worship the Lord your God and serve God alone. Mm. And it's at that moment um, that the devil departs and Jesus is left alone. And ministered to by angels with some food finally. Yeah. Right? I mean. They show up with a Big yeah, Mac. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so I, I think uh, the last thing I'll say is like this whole issue of the effectiveness, choosing to cozy up to power. I used to really think that was important. I used to think, I mean, I even thought for a while, this is going to sound crazy. I thought for a while that I would run for office, like politics. Yeah. yeah. You would be you, good at uh, it. Well, thanks. Appreciate it. That's no, an no, insult. No, no, no. That's a compliment. What an but... insult. You'd be a great congressman. <laughs> You'd be a great politician. <laughs> no. no. No, but, but I'm saying but the reason, the reason, but the reason <laughs> was because I, I believe that, yeah. that the way you make a difference, the way you're actually going to make a difference in the world is you have to go that route, that category. Uh, right. I don't believe that anymore. No. And I believe a lot of us think that way. So this whole issue of success, you know, Jesus is not going to jump off the temple. Jesus is not going to bow down. Jesus is not going to use superhuman feats or cleverness or circus show. Jesus' ministry is not going to be characterized by showy display or power or angelic deliverance or kneeling before that, the easy way out. His life is marked by walking from village to village. Yes. Yeah. Right? And his life is touching those who people consider are untouchable. Yeah ultimately arrested by the powers, tried, put to death on a cross. Yeah, yeah. And even on the cross, if you remember, they teased him and said, why don't you call the angels to come down and yeah. take you off the cross? I mean, he was, uh, he was constantly tempted for those easy ways out. I don't, I, I'm gonna be honest with you, I don't think being a person of faith or being Christian and trying to change the world is the easier way to do it. I don't think it's the easier way to do it. Mm. No. I think the easier way to do it is, to, is the power grab. Yeah. But all I would say, if you think of nothing else, just, just chew on this. Who is it that's offering power? <laughs> the easy way. Who is it that's offering yeah. empire? Yeah. Who is it that's offering governmental authority? Who is it that's offering those things? There's only one person here mm -hmm. that's doing that and it's not Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other thing I might um, just add briefly is it's really interesting to me that what if this is the pattern that our identity to be baptized in the name of Jesus means that we receive the identity of the beloved and that there's a world in which um, our identity is going to be contested. Right. And so that when we are walking in places where um, the ideal of what we want our children to do, and the ideal is just another way of saying the idol, <laughs> I cannot exert my control, they're not doing what I want them to do, right? When the ideal is not happening, the way is not to exert more control, but through surrender. Right? How do we do that? So I wonder if this way of moving into the testing is not as if something's bad happened and you're not doing it right, 
But what Jesus is saying is, if you've given your life to Christ, if you've been baptized, then these kinds of things um, will be about uh, what will happen in life and God will be there. What I love about wrestling with this mm. is I'm really convinced that the, we are entering an era of Christian faith in America particularly where we really need to be about formation, yeah. deep Christian formation. Yes. Yes. And no longer just that surface kind of faith, mm -hmm. consumeristic, feel good, you know, just, um, oh, I had to go to another Bible study. I learned more about Jesus. It, it's a whole different way of thinking about what it means to be a disciple. Because when you look at how Jesus wrestles with this and you yeah. go to those deeper kind of understanding of this, you're like, man, that's stuff that I never really paid attention to before. I never thought of how deep he's going into this. This is exactly what we need to do right. when we're confronted with the temptation is to be able to be prepared in our lives mm. to be able to go to that deeper level. That's right. Right? Right. Right. Uh, um, and, and I think that's where transformation, that's where salvation, healing, wholeness, and oneness defeats accusation right. and division. Absolutely. Amen. And that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> Anything else, Jeff? Any questions? We'll do that in a minute. Okay. I'm John Stevens. And I'm Matt Russell. And this is Pod Have Mercy.